You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. In the context, practically speaking, if I don't keep myself from idols, my prayer life is shot. Are you with me? Not going to have a powerful prayer life. If I don't keep myself from idols, in my idolatry, I may end up sinning unto death. God says, that's enough. I've had enough of your idolatry. Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourself away from idols. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches you about idolatry. Idolatry is anything that you place above your relationship with the Lord. Some people can make idols out of their careers or relationships or even their wealth. Pastor Danny urges you to remove the idols that are within your life by putting them back into their proper place. Make your relationship with the Lord your number one priority. When he's placed first in your life, everything else will be balanced. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 John chapter 1 with today's edition of The Living Word. First John chapter 5, we left off verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, I've referred to that verse uh, many times as we studied First John. Uh, this is the best little book in the Bible to study or to refer somebody to to gain assurance of your salvation. That is the main motive behind the Holy Spirit inspiring John's pen to write it. Verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Now, those two verses can be a whole message uh, in themselves. Uh, We're not going to do that, but let me say a couple of things that I think would be helpful. Uh, We ought to pray every day for God's will to be done. Uh, Jesus laid out the pattern for us. Father, our Father who art in heaven, uh, holy is your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as is done in heaven. I pray that prayer uh, every day. And one day, of course, that prayer is going to come true completely. But we want as much as possible for God's will to be done now on the earth as it's done in heaven. Now with that, it gets a little more personal for me desiring God's will for my life. Okay? That's when it gets a little tricky. Because sometimes God's will for me personally is not at all, if you understand what I mean, desirable. 
Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane three times. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, yours be done. And the will of the Father for Jesus was that he complete the mission, that he go to the cross. And he finalized the deal. He settled it there in the garden. And he went and he suffered on that Roman cross. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, yours be done. Paul the apostle, what a great apostle. Uh, this guy prayed for people. Uh, he saw miraculous healings. He even saw people raised from the dead through his ministry. And yet... He writes and he says, there was a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, actually from the Lord to be technical, but God used Satan, was sent to torment me. Now, I believe it was some kind of physical infirmity. We don't know that. There's some debate, but whatever it was, it was a torment daily in Paul's life. He prayed three times, remove this thorn. And yet it wasn't God's will to remove the thorn. In order to keep him from becoming conceited, and that's what he said, because of all the surpassing great revelations and the great ministry God had given him, um, God said, no, I'm going to leave the thorn because it'll help keep you humble. My power is made perfect in weakness. But Paul wanted to get rid of the thorn. I mean, he prayed repeatedly, take this from me, but it wasn't God's will. Now, in discovering God's will, there's often a natural struggle between what God wants and desires and what I want and desire. James 4.3 says, in regard to prayer, you pray with wrong motives sometimes, and you want to spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, it's, it's not God's will, and so you're not going to get what you're asking for. If I'm really going to live in the will of God on a daily basis, any of us, listen, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. If I'm going to find the will of God and continue to live in the will of God, I'm going to need to regularly, daily even, offer my body as a living sacrifice. Now, verse 2, get verse 2 of Romans 12. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the Word of God. That's a regular diet of the Word of God. Then, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will by faith. Did you get that? No way I'm going to live and know God's will and be able to pray in the will of God unless I lay my life on the altar on a regular basis. If my commitment is half-hearted, my prayer life is done for. Are you with me? If I'm going to really find the will of God on a regular basis and pray in the will of God, I've got to offer myself to the Lord completely, repeatedly. And on that path of life, as I do that, I'm going to come in conflict with God's will, just naturally, just going to happen. Let me give you one more example. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. God's will. Peter, don't you love Peter? 
Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He's rebuking Jesus Christ. Never, Lord, he says, this shall never happen to you. This can't be God's will. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. By the way, you ever rebuke the Lord? It won't be long before you get a rebuke back. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's that sacrifice of myself repeatedly, regularly. But even as I do that, there will be times when God's will comes in conflict with what I think is God's will. Now, one more verse in regard to God's will and prayer and getting our prayers answered. Psalm 66, 18. You can just write it down. Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If you've got known, willful, habitual sin in your life, don't expect to get your prayers answered. Not going to happen. Back in 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. Won't do any good. Once God has determined, their life is over here and now. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, this used to be a very perplexing passage for me. It's not anymore, because Old Testament, New Testament, throughout the Bible, there are clear examples of people who committed sin unto death. Leviticus chapter 10, two sons of the high priest Aaron, their names were Nadab and Abihu, and it says there, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, and God took their lives. They sinned unto death. Numbers chapter 16 mentions some leaders under Moses, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They led a rebellion against Moses. They thought they were doing what God wanted them to. That's what it appears. They were wrong. Uh, lots of people followed them. And in their rebellion, God opened up the earth. And those leaders and those who followed them committed a sin unto death. Done. New Testament. Acts chapter 5, the early church in Jerusalem. I mean, what a church to be a part of. The apostles are teaching every day. The church is meeting every day in the temple courts. Miraculous things are going on. People are being healed. People are selling things they don't really need, bringing the money to the leaders of the church. And it says they distributed to anyone who had need. And for a period of time in that early church, it said there were no needy persons among them. I mean, what a, what a church to be a part of. And in the midst of that environment, two people, Ananias and Sapphira, also sold a field. And the intention of the Holy Spirit was leading them to bring the money like others and give it to the leadership of the church, and they would continue to distribute it as God led them. But instead of giving all of uh, the money from the sale, they kept back part of it. They were confronted by Peter one at a time, and one at a time they lied. Peter said, you've not lied to men, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. And God took their lives. They sinned unto death. I'll give you one more scriptural reference, and it's found in... 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
And it's interesting, it's in the context of the communion table, but 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone, verse 29, who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's what God says in regard to believers who die physically in this life. So there were some believers who didn't let God deal with the sin in their lives, and they sinned unto death. Now, back in 1 John, verse 18, and you'll see the connection here in a minute. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And it's interesting how the Holy Spirit moves John's pen to close this little epistle. It's one line, but oh, don't miss this one line. Verse 21, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. In the context, practically speaking, if I don't keep myself from idols, my prayer life is shot. Are you with me? Not going to have a powerful prayer life. If I don't keep myself from idols, in my idolatry, I may end up sinning unto death. God says, that's enough. I've had enough of your idolatry. Keep yourselves from idols. Exodus 20, verse 3, you must not have any other God but me. Any other God but me. Because any God but me, that's an idol. That's idolatry. Here's my best shot at defining what's an idol. What is an idol? Here's my best shot. It's any person or thing that contends with God for my time, energy, affection, and money. That's the best I can get to a definition of what is an idol. Did you know there are a lot of potential idols? I love Louis Giglio's book he put together years ago. Just I, I've read it so many times, and every time I read uh, through it or even a section of it, I'm just freshly blessed. It's called The Air I Breathe, Louis Giglio. One of the lines uh, in there I've memorized and I'll never forget. When you follow the trail of your time, energy, affections, and money, there you find a throne. And whatever or whoever is on that throne is the object of your worship. It's a great statement and so true. A lot of potential idols in life. Let me give you some potential idols. A person can be an idol. Jesus said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, you got to understand what he's not saying. What he's not saying is you're not to be committed to your family, not to love your family. That's not what he's saying at all. Because the Bible certainly says we ought to love our family, uh, even care for our families. But it's a comparison. He's saying, don't let any family relationship keep me from being number one in your life. I am God. <laughs> 
Jesus told a parable about a great banquet and the invitation for people to come to the banquet. I like Luke chapter 14 for the sake of this message and that record of the parable of the banquet. Uh, the invitations go out and the excuses, there are several excuses. I don't know if you remember the parable. One of the excuses is I I'd come, but I just bought a field. I got to go check it out. Uh, one is uh, I'd come, but I just bought uh, a fresh yoke of oxen and uh, I got to try them out. In other words, I'm expanding the business. But one of the excuses is just very interesting in light of the potential of a person becoming an idol. Here's the excuse. I just got married. So I can't come. Anything wrong with getting married? I hope not. But here's someone who said no to the invitation to the banquet. And the banquet is representative of the kingdom of God. This is what God's offering. This is salvation. And someone said, I, I can't come because I'm too devoted to my spouse. And they're the priority. They're my idol. Catch this one. My idol could be me. The first king of Israel, King Saul, 1 Samuel 15, 12, says he went down to a, a place and he set up a monument in his own honor. He was full of himself. He was his own idol. You know, if you're living with somebody who's not biblically your husband and your wife, and you're involved in an immoral relationship, that person is an idol to you. You put them above God. They're your idol. You put them above God. I'll go on because you're going to get me worked up on that one. A possession can be an idol. Listen to this verse, Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, get this one, and greed, which is idolatry. Greed, which is idolatry. One gospel writer says he was rich. Another says he was young. Another says he's a ruler. So we have dubbed him the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments. He said, I've kept these since I was a boy. And then Jesus says to him, one more thing you lack. If you want riches in heaven, sell what you have. Sell all your stuff. Give it to the poor. Then come and follow me and you'll have great riches in heaven. Now, does God tell everybody that's the avenue for salvation? Obviously, that's not the avenue for everybody to be saved. We're saved by grace through faith. He doesn't tell everybody, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Why did he tell this guy that? Because his money and what his money could buy was his idol. That's his God. It says he went away very sad because he was a man of great will. Your house could be an idol. But it doesn't have to be. Here's what Jesus said. No one, no servant can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And it's the idea of materialism. Can't serve two masters. Not only potentially a person, not only potentially a possession, but listen, a passion can become an idol, a goal a dream of success, whatever that, that looks like. And look, I've watched it. My daughter used to watch it every week. She'd record it, you know, and, and we watch it sometimes together, just kind of father-daughter time, family time. We've watched American Idolatry. Anything wrong with 
want to be successful in what you feel God's gifted you in? Of course not. As long as God is at the top of that, Lord, I want to glorify you through the gift you've given me. Nothing wrong with that. You know, I wanted, to, I wanted so many years to be a rock star. That was before I became a Christian. Then I thought after I become a Christian, I'd become a Christian rock star. Obviously never happened, not going to happen. But I tell you what, nice seeing my second born tear them drums up this morning. Go get them, Hayden. Here's what Jesus said. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? You can get everything you're dreaming of in terms of glory, success, whatever it is in life. This, listen, this is a blip. This is just a blip on the radar. We're going to live forever. So we want whatever we do, and whatever success we have, it be God's glory. He's number one. He gets all the glory. And he's the goal. Well, one last one. A pleasure can become an idol. The parable of the seed and the sower, the seed that fell among thorns, Luke records it this way. Jesus said, as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Pleasures. Now, I don't want us to misunderstand. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let me just read 1 Timothy 6 verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Look, don't get the idea God's some kind of killjoy. He's not at all. I enjoy catching. That's a pleasure that God allows me to enjoy. I don't like fishing. So don't start a rumor for new people coming to our fellowship that the pastor likes fishing. I do not like fishing. If there's not something on the other end of the hook that could potentially pull me off the boat in about three seconds, we're moving. And you guys that just like to fish, don't ask me to go fishing with you. You stand there all day with the pole in your hand. You're just happy to be there. I'm not happy to just be there. I want to catch something, and I want to catch something I can eat. My credit card takes out an amount of money every month for me to be a SeaWorld and a Bush Gardens um, pass holder. I'm at Bush Gardens probably once every two weeks. I go there just to unwind. I'll go there by myself. I love walking around. I love looking at the animals. But my favorite pastime at Bush Gardens is Congo River Rapids. I do not ride the ride. I take quarters, and I stand there, and if you are on the ride, I am going to wet you. I am a professional. I've invested hundreds of dollars over the years, and my favorite is the first one, second one from the far right, and that's the best one because it'll get you every time. <laughs> On a day I really need to unwind, I take a roll of quarters. I invest $10 in one standing, and there I am. I was there the other day. I just went in. I was there for an hour. I went back home. <laughs> and if you think there's something wrong with that, it's your problem. There's nothing wrong with enjoying things that God allows us to do. We just we got to be careful that those pleasures don't become the most important thing. They don't crowd God out of our lives. 
Why is there such great potential for idolatry? Boy, inspired, not the Bible, but definitely inspired. You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. Thanks for tuning in. John the Apostle had a unique relationship with Jesus, and it shows in his writing. He knew Jesus in a personal way, and John knew him to be God. Sometimes it's hard to tell what's real in this world. But as John wrote, Jesus is the real deal. As we continue to journey through the book of 1 John, evaluate your own relationship with Jesus. Do you know him in a deep and personal way? Do you know him to be the real thing? If you're struggling with this, spend time in the Word and ask the Lord to reveal Himself to you. We also encourage you to keep seeking Him, and we'll continue to pray for you as you grow in your faith. Would you also be willing to pray for us here at The Living Word? As our ministry grows, we want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and foremost too. Thank you so much for praying. If you're looking for a church home and live in or near the St. Petersburg area, we want to connect with you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We also live stream our services. Find out more at ccfstpete.church. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. And with that, we hope you'll join us again next time to learn more from the book of 1 John right here on The Living Word.